Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is December 29th, 2022. We've arrived at our last Thursday night service of the year. Wow. In times where we see another year pass and another one brought in, we want to encourage you to take a moment to reflect on all that Adonai is able to accomplish through us in just 365 days. As we approach this year's bonfire, it will be important that every member of this body comes with testimony of what the Lord has done and an anticipation about what he will do this next year. We had such a supernatural year of inward building, fruitful discipleship, marriages, budding relationships, partnership between households, and an ever-increasing bond of brotherhood that will never be broken. Isn't it amazing just 365 days how much God has built in this family? It's astounding. What we see more clearly is the foundation of what God has been building and the nations that our sons and daughters will continue to build well after we are gone. So what we have is the right hand of God-ordained privilege to set up our generations for success. And we do it with perspective of every endeavor that lies ahead of them. So we're ambassadors of the kingdom, right? As ambassadors, we will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts. Amen? Amen. And yet there's more. As family, we will not rest until we see every nation in the world that is, will be represented before his throne. As couriers of the glorious gospel, we will never be bribed. We'll never be seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths that lie within the scriptures. This is LCM. And we will not only strive for perfection in our own walk with the Lord, but we will raise up generations to magnify the way of life that we have and take that way of life to the nations. Don't you want to see that, church? Now, many of you are familiar with the concept of three in the Bible. Three represents the distance between life and death. We've taught you about things like third-day thinking. And the power that accompanies a resurrected mindset. This evening, we would like to show you another facet called third generation thinking. So the title of tonight's message is third generation thinking. Now to start, we want to take you back to rediscover some precious jewels that many of you carry around with you every single day. So everybody start turning to Joshua chapter 4 and say third generation thinking as you're turning. Third generation thinking. Joshua 4, we're going to pick up in verse 5. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So you guys are very familiar with the events that are happening here in Joshua. This crossing of the Jordan, it was the inaugural experience of supernatural victory for the second generation of Israel. And it would serve to be a reminder of how God's hand was upon his people and how that same hand of God would continue to be with them once they crossed and began to venture out to conquer the land of Canaan. Now, in this passage, I want to highlight to you those stones. Those stones were taken from the middle of the Jordan. And were a sign, and they were a symbol of an experience that Israel had. And not only did it just cross over from one side of a river to the other, but they crossed through dry ground 
and what could be death for them. In essence, you could say that they crossed over from death to life. And that's exactly what those stones were a sign of. They were a powerful sign that if God could lead them through the crossing over of death to life, then surely he would be the same God that would empower them to go in and conquer giants that lied in the land. These memorial stones, they were stacked. Twelve of them were stacked. And you know who did the stacking? You had 12 tribal fathers, heads of tribes, that were told to go and gather those stones from the middle of the Jordan. They took them, set, set them up, stacked them, and put them in the position so that the stones served as a means of prompting a question. And that meant that it would prompt their children to ask something, something that we've all experienced. But I want you to just catch the exact phrasing how the ESV says it. What do these stones mean to you? See, what, what we've been doing for decades is that in this house, we have been walking out the way of life of making disciples. And in making disciples, particularly starting with the members of our own household, we have them next to us so that they can witness the miraculous and what seemingly is to be uh, a glorious moment, what feels like then a temporal despair and how God delivers us out of that. Yeah. Then we have stones, memorial stones that are set up. And that's to prompt them sometime in the future. Go, hey, remind me, what do these stones mean? And I'm pointing to the placards on our wall. And I'm pointing to also the scriptures that we have in our very pocket. Those three by five index cards that we call stones. Ah, now we're beginning to put it together. Well, some of you may be familiar with where this originated at, meaning these three by five index cards in their pocket. From 2005, there was a message called Got Stones. Look it up. Watch it. It is where God began to give us the foundational practice of making disciples through our own personal engagement with the word and needed it on a tangible source to have in front of our face at all times. Because as good as our memories at sometimes can be, it's usually about the things we don't need to recall at all. It's whatever song that you knew from back whenever you were 13 or a certain movie phrase from a couple years ago. But isn't it true how well these three by five index cards have served our soul and our spirit and yeah. household. That at the right time, you finally snap two. You take out those three by five index cards and you remind yourself of the miraculous of what God has done. In doing so, what you're also experiencing is the word becoming incarnate inside of you. You know, think about the very first three by five index card that you made and that hopefully you still have somewhere. It, in, in its inception, in engagement with it, it was a revelation. It gave you clarity. It gave you insight. But hasn't it over time become the fabric of exactly who you are? Where it's inseparable to think about that, or it's inconceivable to think how that scripture can be separated from who you are. It defines you. So the message back in 2005, it was titled Got Stones, and it had a question mark on it. We went as far to make t-shirts, blue t-shirts with white writing. It said, got stones, kind of like that, that font that says, got milk. And it had a question mark on it. On the back was something even better. It said, been in the Philistine killing business since uh, 1000 BC. Which, by the way, Pastor Eric wore to a, a Palestinian rally here in, in Houston at one point. It was glorious. It was the best conversation started in the world. We share the gospel. What developed as a foundational stone in a message in 2005, now, with years of experience, many of you stand here having that word woven into the fabric of your spirit, soul, and being. And it's no longer a question mark on the end of that phrase. It's not, do you got stones? It's that we stand here saying, we do got stones. So that brings me to a thought. Who in this house has some stones? Yeah. I mean, more than just a couple. 
Do you got stones on a real plural nature? Hold up your, sh- your stones. Amen. Now, thinking about a man who also has stones, I think of John, John the Baptist. He's baptizing at the Jordan. And he's baptizing for the purpose of bringing people into repentance for their sin. They're coming to him confessing of their sins. And he's approached by uh, some of the leading groups of the nation of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and say third generation thinking as you're turning. In verse 9, he is replying back to these Pharisees and Sadducees. Actually, he's not replying. He's just stating it up front as they approach. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Now, where was it again that John was baptizing? In the Jordan, right? Well, John 1.28 is also a parallel accounting, and it, it titles it as Bethany by the Jordan. And if you did some study, maybe went back and looked at some uh, foundations notes when we cover Joshua chapter 3, you would see that it says in Greek, Bethbara. And Bethbara can mean house of the ford or house of the crossing. And as you do a thorough study of this Greek and some of the other early writings about this exact location, it's very, very easy to see based on the evidence of Scripture and archaeology and study that John was baptizing at the very place that Joshua crossed at the Jordan. So that would prompt some additional questions as you're engaging Matthew 3, 9. So what stones then is John the Baptist speaking of? The stones taken out of the middle of the Jordan and stacked in view for who? The generations to see. John is speaking to men who would be keenly aware of this site and the history behind it. And more importantly, the purpose of these stones was to be a memorial forever for the generations to come. John makes the direct connection that even out of these stones, these living witnesses, God can raise up children of the same faith as Abraham to accomplish the promises made to Abraham. So whenever John is stating this, he is pointing to the very evidence that God directed Joshua to set up that is serving as a living witness of his time. Look, here is a church. We can stand more certain now than ever that the memorial stones of our previous victories will be a present day reminder of future memorial stones that will be set by our sons who are then sent out. These passages, Joshua chapter 4 and Matthew 3, they've been stirring. They've been moving in me recently. And I've been reflecting on the historical evidence of God's supernatural victories he has given us as fathers in this house. I can't say it enough. Every time that we begin service and I see our children lined from one end of the stage to the other, I am jumping up and down and celebrating the victories that God has put right before our eyes. Each and every one of these children that sit here are memorial stones of what God accomplished that science, doctors, and even our own physical state said that they could not. These victories are to be the inspirational building blocks that generationally stretch from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And I'll help enumerate that. What began as the stacking of stones in Joshua's day resulted in the stacking of stones for the temple during the time period of Solomon. The former serving as a powerful sign that what God said will come to pass will happen. Come hell or literally high water. God set it up. So just think, you guys are are Bible scholars you know that what's happening in Joshua is not just for the sole purpose of what that generation alone can accomplish. That God is setting in motion something that is going to be completed and finished. So by the time that we get to David's day, his victories, well, how did his victories actually start? It started with a young man taking a sling and a stone and sinking it into the head of a giant. But you know what God was always aimed at even through that event? 
is that that victory, along with many others, would set up his son to eventually build a temple for Yahweh God. That son, Solomon, one of the first things that he does when he becomes king is that he enlists stone cutters to begin to quarry out the very foundational blocks that would become the foundation of the temple. That's one of the first thing that he does. So what God was establishing through Joshua at the Jordan was a memorial for the generations after him, giving them the courage and confidence to continue their work until the actual goal is met. And in this sense, building a house where God's name would dwell and the place that his law would then go out from and produce the glory of the Lord throughout all the earth. Yeah, amen. So for Israel, stacking stones was not a new thing when they built the temple. They learned it from their fathers. Peter had the revelation of third generation thinking in mind when he wrote his first epistle, and it solidifies the goal of stacking stones that builds God's house. This is 1 Peter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 4. As you're turning there, say third generation thinking. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but built in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church Adonai wants his house built with living stones. Not with brick and mortar, not with sheetrock and tape, but with living stones. Those living stones are generations of the faithful stacked on top of each other in subsequent fashion. Each one looking to be a solid placeholder for the next row of stones to be laid in place upon. Can fathers in the room, if you're a father in the room, raise your hand for me. Can you feel me on the willingness that you have to do whatever it takes to be a solid foundation for your family? There's really not any obstacle in your way when it comes to being a solid pillar, being a father, being a protector, being a provider. One way that we do this, and the best way that we do this as fathers, is by standing on the word that the Lord has spoken to us, and then constantly teaching our families about what the Lord has done, like memorial stones that they can always go back to and say, yes, this season is difficult, but my father stood in this place and he conquered because Christ was with him. Memorial stones can be the very thing that our sons look back on when their walk seems clouded or they lose their way. When a father sets up a memorial stone of the word, he is literally lighting a lamp for his feet, for the feet of his sons that will shine as a light to their path. Are you catching me on that? The best thing that a father can give his children is a righteous life. Amen. When sons become wayward or they lose their way or they're in a trial, what they will always have that the world cannot take from them is what their father set in place as a memorial stone of the word and said, yes, but God has done it and he will do it again. Fathers are entrusted with foundational truths and we must prove faithful to transfer them for the generations after us. Uh, I'm looking at a group of people who will be faithful to transfer these foundational right. truths. For most in the room tonight, our immediate thought is to solely focus on what generation lies in front of us next. This is good. This is very good. And it's right. But we can go further in our perspective by looking ahead to what is beyond our immediate sons and daughters. Think about that. You know, the very children that you have right here in front of you, yes, pour everything that you are into them, saturating them with the truths of God's word. But do it through the lens of third generation thinking. Think about how this is going to impact their children and the children after them. The diligence, the intensity, consistency, and quality of what you give is going to increase and rise. Tonight, we can start having third-generation thinking and begin laying a foundation for our grandchildren decades in advance. The truth is, whether we've had third-generation third generation thinking or not, 
our Heavenly Father has had it the entire time. It's true. He has had you and your children and your children's children in mind from the beginning of time. Think about how the Lord has established your households. How he's given many of you mezuzah statements to guide your every action. How he's given you countless stones that have now become the very incarnation of God's word inside of you. This was not just for your own, uh, your own security, but it is also for your grandchildren's security in the faith. Isn't that usually what the top of the mind aspect is as you get older? It's what can I leave behind as an inheritance for my children's children? What do I have that will last and that will endure and not be squandered or wasted away? Let me tell you, a righteous life founded on God's word is the only thing that will last for an eternity. Those once, paper, three by five stones, you know what they've done? They have made you into living stones. They have fashioned the very word of God as your DNA, as your makeup, and most importantly, as your identity. And it is the very fabric that is going to build in our midst a household of royal priesthood. Yeah. Let me share a testimony that many of you know about a three by five index card that spoke to me and now defines my very life. It's Deuteronomy 32. Early in discipleship, if you call me a disciple then. Absolutely. I was in Acts class. I was trying, but by no means finished or have attained anything. The Lord shared with me Deuteronomy 32. And he said, you will proclaim my greatness among the nations. And I wrote it on a card and I wrote a song. And it remained a card and a song for some time. Until I began to walk in that. And then the revelation began to work into me. And then it began to direct every single step that I did. Where now, it's very difficult if I mention Deuteronomy 32, 3, and 4. You don't think of my name. Or maybe you don't. But what about Romans 12? Who do you think about? <laughs> so these words that the Lord has given to us that we write down as memorial stones. And they get worked into us. They should become the definition of who you are because the word is becoming incarnate in you and your very action. Now, I remember when the Lord spoke to me about going to the nations. I know, I knew that it was going to cost me everything that I had grown up being indoctrinated into, i.e. a good job, good financial plan, a family, a house, and all the comforts of life. I knew that I was giving that up. But I knew that now I had a director from the Heavenly Father. But I wouldn't be telling the truth if I did not consider what that meant for my children. Because every father, not in his right mind, but just in a worldly, practical mindset, wants his children to have a better life than they had growing up, right? So when the Lord called me to go to the nations, and I was hook, line, and sinker devoted, I considered what that might mean for my children. That maybe we would go overseas, Hannah and I, and we'd send our kids back to have a, an American life. But the Lord steered my life away from that. Amen. Repentance is a good thing. Amen. And having fathers who help direct your course is a good thing. In light of that, I want to look at a proverb. It's always a good time for a proverb. Because when I thought about the difficulties that lied ahead for me, and then I had anxiety about what that might mean for my children, like those little distant thoughts that just kind of echo in the background that maybe my children won't be able to persevere the way that I did, that maybe they won't have what it takes, this proverb put it on better footing. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, Train a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Fathers in the room. What do fathers do? Fathers train. Fathers train their children. They know where they are headed and the paths that their children should walk on. It's clear as day. 
I had entertained so many thoughts of the possibilities that my kids could take. And like I said, the Lord rescued me from it. But I was going to let life dictate their course. Fathers train their children and they direct them the way that they should walk. We have to resist the temptation to make their faith easier by removing difficulty from their lives. We train them, we discipline them, and we prepare them for the work that's ahead of them because we know exactly what they're headed into. We know exactly where they're going. When you think about the discipline and the difficulty you must put your families through, but you're struggling with, I want my children to like me. I want my children to be close to me. Remember that your children, your sons, do not need a friend. They need a father. Discipline, study, direction is what fathers must give their children. And as a body, we're doing it better than any place I've ever seen. And I want to I raise the, uh, the heaviness of that. You are succeeding in it. But we wouldn't be talking about third generation thinking if it wasn't something that we believe the Lord wants us to turn our attention to. Because we are getting it right. But just like any son who is successful, a good father will step in and say, no, there's more training. There's more here that you need to learn. In light of that, let's go ahead and move to Hebrews 11 and find verse 8. When we say that they don't need a friend, they need a father. Fathers need to know how to push their children to the limits of their abilities and be able to see downrange for them so that they can teach them about where they are going. So as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, just as a visual, raise your hand if you have kids still living in the home. Okay, wow, that's like three-quarters of us. How many of your kids love being trained and disciplined? Not as many hands. Okay. How many of us love the fruit of you actually doing it? Yes. You know, this is something to reflect on on the past 365 days that we've been through or so. Is how much have we benefited as a family and as a church because we've all been diligent to put in practice what we see as a standard for parenting? And we know what the outcome actually is. You know, one of the highlights of that is whenever we have group events that are somewhere in public or like a one association conference, and I stand back and I am proud of the effort and labors that you guys have put in to discipline your kids because it results in righteous actions coming forth from your household, and it represents the father and mother's name of that household well. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, pay attention now, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Heirs with him. For he was looking forward. Everybody say forward. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So have the right perspective of your, your rearing and raising of your kids. Your children are designed by God to be heirs with you. And the children after them are designed by God to be heirs with you of the promises that God has made to you. See, just as much as Peyton reiterated fathers train, fathers see downrange. They know the larger perspective and the larger target. So much like someone, uh, Charlie, looking down the scope of a rifle, right? Fathers are not only able to see through that scope, staring at today's battle that is aiming at the target immediately in front of them. Fathers are able to step back and look down range for the full scope of what his mission is actually supposed to accomplish. You want an example, oh, like tangible example of what that's like? All right, another, we're going to interact a little bit here. How many of you have kids that are still in diapers? Raise your hand. Okay, that's the majority of you. 
All right, so the next time that you're changing your son's diaper, realize that you're changing the diaper of a future grandfather. Yeah. This is what it's going to do for you. You'll be able to quote the passage. One of the Pauline epistles, it says, to some it is a smell of death, the others a fragrance of life. That's right. That all that mess that you're cleaning up is actually preparing a grandfather for future generations. Let me tell you something, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, every little thing that you do in diligence towards righteousness with your children, it pays off. Yeah, come on. Every little bit of it pays off. And not just in your current day and time. I'm talking about decades in the future. Generations in the future. You know, next time that you're directing the emotions of that little baby girl that you have. Bringing in some salad shalom. You're actually shaping the godly character of a future grandmother. That grandmother that will be sitting at a table with generations around her and she is expounding upon the wisdom of putting God's word into practice that is impacting an exponential amount of what you can do currently right now. See, when we're, ha- when we're having that third generation thinking, oh, obviously we're thinking well beyond just ourselves. But grasp the tangible effect that you are having right now into what lies 40 or 50 years in our future. 40 or 50 years in our future. Fathers have the full scope of what the great architect of heaven and earth has laid out. And because they have that full scope of what he is building, he also has the full understanding of the building materials required to build what the great architect has laid out. What is required to build what God has destined is that our children's children are becoming living stones just like we have become living yeah. stones. Amen. And don't discount for a second that that word that has jumped up off the page and has struck you straight between the eyes and pierced your heart, you carry that on immediately to the children in front of you, that's going to reverberate for yeah. decades and decades. The Word of God is living. It's active. It means it never stops speaking. It never stops living. When it's at work inside of you and becoming who you are, you can count that every effort that you are putting forth will not go wasted on your future generations. Church, this is really at the heart of what we wanted to share with you tonight. Third generation thinking goes far beyond just what we think our children need, meaning our sons and daughters that we currently have. But what do we need to instill in them for our grandchildren? A good example of this is Pastor Judah. Pastor Judah is the perfect father for his sons. That's because Eric knew exactly what his grandchildren would need in the type of father they would have to have to be able to lead them well. And we see the fruit of it. And even as a household, one thing that we do that uh, I didn't cherish the way that I do now was that when River uh, comes in the living room, she'll crawl up in Judah's lap or, or Nick's lap and they'll pray together. And what they're praying over my daughter is, Lord, we pray for her husband now. Lord, we pray for the household that she will welcome people into. We pray now for the children that she will have. Man, I never cherished it the way that I do now. Because that is third generation thinking. This is what we want to challenge you with this evening. That yes, pray for your sons. What do they need in the moment? But also take time as a father or a mother to step back and gain a larger perspective. What our grandchildren will need is going to be so much different than what we think they need now. The landscape is going to be different. The culture is going to be different. And we need to be prayerful now to be able to look towards the future and say, man, their daddy is going to need to have these principles ingrained in his soul. And I'm going to start now when he's three 
so that when he's 23, he is prepared to not only walk it out, but to teach it faithfully. This is setting up memorial stones in our children's lives. When you're praying over your daughters, and I'll use that as an example, because in the, in the kibbutz house, we have AJ and we have River. You know, they're, they're the dynamic duo. What we are teaching them just by praying, just by praying over them about their future spouses, is we're setting up memorial stones that there's not a thought in AJ or River's mind about marrying a dud or marrying the cool guy. Or the guy she just thinks is cute. She's looking for a man of God. Yeah. I know River is looking to marry a man that is like Judah Stevens. A man that is like Nick Aragina. She is, she is looking for that because we're setting up memorial stones in their lives. Now, part of that challenge is when you go home, how does that change your prayer life? How does that change maybe your evening habits with your children where you're just teaching them daily things that seem... I don't know, fun, or let's take sports, or let's take video games or movies. I grew up, let me back up, I grew up in a very farm town type mentality. Good old boys, be a man of your word, good integrity, and some of those things transferred to the kingdom pretty well. I learned to honor my word. Uh, that's what men of God do, but I didn't learn it in the church. I learned it from good old country boys. What I know about my grandchildren is that is going to be long gone. That is long gone from our society. So we have to have third generation thinking now that all the principles that we thought were just innate to people or innate to yourself, that our children will not have it ingrained into the foundation of their life because they're not going to see it anywhere else except for in the church and in their home. This is the power of third generation thinking. Because you're raising the future pastors of the One Association right now. They're sitting on this front row. They're sitting in class back there. They are the future pastors. So what we do in here as far as ministry and study of the word isn't just for us to build ourselves up. It's so that we become stronger to be able to teach them to be far, far wiser than we are. Because we're raising our grandchildren's or the generation after them's leaders, pastors, wives, mothers, and sisters in Christ, and brothers in Christ. Now let's go back to the father of the faith, and we're going to go to Genesis twenty-two fifteen, and we'll pick up there. But does that excite you, just talking about that? All week, my mind has been wrapped up in this thought of, Lord, what, it, what do I need to see now, or what can I do now that's going to set set up my children or set up the disciples for the generation after them. And the Lord showed me some things, but this is part of why we're sharing it with you tonight. I believe we all need to begin thinking like this, looking way downrange and then preparing now so that when that time comes, we've prepared a whole generation to face it head on. Yeah. Amen. Genesis twenty-two fifteen. It says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sands that is, sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice or you have obeyed my word. Here, God is showing Abraham third generation thinking on the backdrop of sacrificing the very son who would bring about those future generations. Can you imagine how daunting that would be? I want you to think about your grandchildren, but you're going to have to sacrifice the one who's going to produce them. It's because fathers will always have what their sons need when they operate in faith. Abraham had to learn how to trust his father even when he didn't understand where he was going. And what did that teach his son Isaac? The source of Abraham's blessing was that he obeyed the voice, or you could say the word, of the Lord. 
regardless of his emotion, regardless of how he felt, or if he even thought he was capable of doing it. He trusted it, and he moved forward with it. Third generation thinking in the actions that it produces are always full of faith. They are always grounded in the word, and they are always dependent on the Lord. Let's all go to Joshua chapter 4. Say third generation thinking as your turn. Run it back. We're going to run it back, but also scoot a little forward. Let's pick up in verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, now pay attention closely how it says it. I'm reading out of NIV 84. In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers. So what does that make them to their original descendants? When your descendants ask their fathers. So he's speaking to generation number one. Descendants is generation number two. Their fathers is generation number three. Wow. Their respective backup. Another way to say it is when your third generation ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. You know what fathers do? Fathers give their children identity. And they give their children identity based on the experiences that they previously have had. In doing so, just like what we see here, Joshua is speaking from a first-person perspective of what happened at the Red Sea. And he's speaking to a generation that did not see what happened in that crossing of the Red Sea. But he's also pointing out to them, you have had your own experience, and it's just like the one that we had. Yeah. And a father's experience is there as a reference to give affirmation, encouragement, and overall confidence that the next generation can go further. The next generation can accomplish more. Look, God is with you just as he was with me. You know, for us aging and older guys, what we can do the most is that we can look at the sons in this house and say, that right there is exactly what I experienced. And here's another facet to it that makes it even greater. Man, what would that do for them in that moment if they hear that affirmation from us coming as fathers? Yeah. It makes them stand a little taller. That chest bows out a little bit more. They have a greater amount of courage to go and do the next daring thing that God tells them to do. Yeah. Sons need to know who they are. They need to know where they came from. And they need to know where they're going to be secured. And that comes from the fathers sharing the experiences of their memorial stones so that their sons can then go get their own. Yeah. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. And we're going to find verse 7. Such a precious passage to me. It says, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you your elders, and they will explain it to you. Experience is always the greatest teacher. You know, we often say in this church that the one with the experience is not at the mercy with the one who simply has an argument. For fathers, fathers must always be willing to teach. For elders, always willing and ready to explain. This is how the generations will know who they are. 
This is how the generations do not remain ignorant. It's actually how they become informed by setting at the feet of their fathers, by setting at the feet of their elders who are looking at the third generation and teaching them and walking them through what God has done in the past so they can project and look downrange to what he will do in the future. You ever heard that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? He's still delivering people just like he did through the Red Sea. He is taking people from the hand of the enemy and bringing them into the promised land, and he's splitting seas left and right. He's causing mountains to come down. He's causing obstacles to be moved away. Our sons will never know that unless we have memorial stones set up and say, son, I know this is difficult, but look at what God has always done. Not just for your daddy, but for mine. Not just for him, but his father before him, all the way back to Abraham. When you're raising your sons, remember that you are not just raising the successor to your ministry. You are actually raising your grandchildren's father. You are raising your potential ministry partner's wife. But right now, they're just, for me, they're, they're little. They're six, three, and one. But with third generation thinking, you're able to look ahead and say, you know what? My son needs to have these principles ingrained in him because I know my grandchildren are going to need that from their father. And I am not guaranteed to be there to explain it to them. With third generation thinking, consider what your sons may need in order to lead your grandchildren well and to carry on the testimony that began in you. Let's all turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 37. As you're turning, just something that Pastor Peyton said sparked interest in my mind. Third generation thinking considers what your sons may need in order to lead your grandchildren well and carry on the testimony that God began in you. I think we could all affirmatively say that we don't want the powerful testimony that God has given in us to die with us. Not at all. We want to transfer that to the next generation. And in that transference, there is a greater exponent of impact. All right? So, Help me out here. Uh, talk to me a little bit. How long did the disciples spend with Jesus in the time of his ministry? Three and a half years. Well, uh, let's put it in somewhat of a slight context. Three and a half years at LCM is more like nine and a half years somewhere else. It's an abundance of years. So suffice it to say that Three and a half years spent with Jesus is a considerable amount of experience gained. Yeah. Knowledge obtained, teachings, physical examples that they watched him do and that they actually performed as he sent them out to go do it. And yet at the end of that three and a half years, Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. He is directing his sons to wait for the same empowerment that then fell upon him the day that he was originally baptized by John at the Jordan. So he's not asking his sons to do anything different than he himself has done, which is obey the direction of the father. Jesus actually had to wait 30 years to be, uh, have the spirit descend upon him, then commissioned for ministry. So surely they could wait a little bit around like 40 days to obtain it. Well, here they are, Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 37. And we have the, the outpouring of the Spirit, Pentecost. It's now come. That power has descended. Peter speaks up, and this is what happens after he has his sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, how many of you have read this, maybe even heard someone else share this, and it's at this point that the Scripture stops? I have. I mean, repent, be baptized for your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's something missing, though. It's like that little, that big puzzle piece in the middle of that thousand-piece set that you just count, don't have. It's third-generation thinking. And this is how he continues. In verse 39, for the promise is for you. Yes, it's for me. Hallelujah. And for your children. Yes, it's for your children. And for all who are far off. Uh, how many categories do we have there? Now, they add a fourth, and we'll get to that some other time in our sermons. All who are far off are not just spatial location and difference between the two. We're talking about all those that are far off further down the line of your generations. Come on. Peter's directive for them would be incomplete if he did not have third generation thinking. This particular element in completing what Peter said to them has brought about a revelation to countless numbers of people that we have ministered to here at the altar, out at a coffee shop, or somewhere else in between. And telling them this gift, this promise that God has always set out and intended for all men and women to have. It's not for a certain select group of people. It's not for a certain group of believers of a, a certain denomination. It's not even for a certain group within LCM. It's for the third generation down from you. Yeah. It's what we are to carry on, that empowerment. Yes, it's wonderful to tell about the stories of old and all the things that have happened here at the altar. And those are memorial stones. But we got more memorial stones to go and set up. Come on. And we accomplish it through our kids. For all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Wow. This crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This event that's happening in Pentecost, it's a memorial stone for all generations of those who are faithful. Yeah. And when it's saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation, what we see it as practically played out in our day and time is continuing to focus our efforts Daily to set a table. You remember that as a director from the beginning of this year? Yeah. By daily setting a table, we are putting ourselves in the position to be set out. And what I mean by set out is prepared and built up to move in the direction the Lord leads us to next. You know, some, some interesting early church, first century church history is that what begins in Acts chapter 2 is this empowerment that is designed to go to the third generation. And there is a preparation time, an equipping that they go through. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, you realize why. Why they received that preparation. It's because persecution was going to come and they were going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. It's somewhere around the neighborhood of about eight years Existed between Acts chapter 2 and Acts 8. It feels like it's just a matter of days or months. But God gave them ample time to be prepared for the next great thing that was on the horizon that they couldn't see. But God could. And God did prepare them by giving them what they should do on a daily basis, but through the lens of third generation thinking. I mean, you guys have been through discipleship training. Peter goes on to tell them exactly what they must do on a daily basis with that third generation thinking. And the first one is to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Does anybody know what the second one is? Fellowship. 
breaking the bread, prayer, unity, worship, evangelism. There's seven in total. What directive do we still have? Still have a directive to set the table and implement exactly what the believers did in the early church. But now through the lens of third generation thinking. When you set the table. Think through the lens of what this is going to impact for your great-grandchildren. Think about what the seriousness that you will take to impart into those in front of you. And how can this be carried on and remain true and pure to Scripture that will come alive inside of them just like it's come alive inside of me. Church, I want, I want to exhort you. This past year has been a fantastic year. You have been devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. I know it from the conversations that we're having with one another, and particularly in the way that you're all interacting with each other. You know, sometimes it's like a scriptural kung fu. Or whatever kind of American ninja thing they have, like an obstacle course. I hear you all sharing scripture, and it's no longer just one person speaking, and the other is going, uh-huh. There's a sharing back and forth. There's a, a mutual edification that's happening. It's almost like the body's building itself up this year. I can tell by the state of Shalom that you guys come in on a consistent basis in here. It's far more beyond the 51% in being in Shalom than the 51% of being out of Shalom. I can tell by the worship when, when we began. You can sense within the room. That we have momentum in the majority. For God's word is taking effect in each and every single one of you. We got one more scripture to turn to. Everybody turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13 verse 22. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Church, a good man has third generation thinking. The works we're fighting for now will be what our grandchildren continue to build on. Today we are setting out to establish new works. That will prepare the stage for the generations to take the nations by storm. A good man stores up an inheritance for his children's children. I believe fathers should have something directly for their sons to inherit. But in looking at the proverb, the Lord showed me something beautiful. That I could take a son like Barzillai and I could kneel down on his level because he's three. And say, son, you're going to have children one day. And you and I, we are going to work together. We're going to be ready when they get here. You have me till my last breath, and I will make sure you are prepared for what's coming. Man, what does that do for a young man who from the time he was three said, I will be prepared for my children, and their children will prepare for their children? This third generation thinking allows us to stay 20, 30, 40, 50 years ahead of the enemy before he can get a foothold in any of our lives. This is the kind of rub the enemy's face in the dirt kind of attitude I want to have. That yes, you can send all the hordes of hell towards my family, but we've been preparing for generations and you're just a barking dog. Our children will go into every nation and teach this way of life and do it until we see every nation on that map reached. Man, doesn't that get you excited? Hey, and we're going to do it together, church. Come on, stand to your feet. Now, just in case if you're wondering, this is not going to be the message or sermon that we're going to call you down to the altar and cleanse your soul by confessing of every sin you've ever done in your life. This is a call to get a greater heavenly perspective of what God has already accomplished and entrusted you with. So let's start by fathers gathering your family with you. My family, come on up here. Hannah, come on up. 
Now, for you other guys, gather as households together. There you go. All right, we got everybody joined up. One of the things that we have visible in front of us is several examples of third generation thinking. Baj, Nick, and his kids. Eric, Judah, his boys. Charlie. Roman and Leslie and their kids. This is possible. It's evident right here in front of us. It's absolutely possible. So that as I begin to pray, fathers, pray over your household and do it through the lens of thinking about the generations that come after what stands before you. Households, pray over each other to have this perspective with every person you come in contact with, particularly those that are younger than you, invest in them the memorial stones that God has invested in you and do it through the line of sight of what will come from them. Mighty God, we thank you for what you have given to us and entrusted in our care. Lord, it is your word at work in us, becoming us. And Lord, we pray over our families. We pray over our joined households. We say, Lord, let your word become more alive in us than ever, producing in us the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, that it may produce in our generations after us the example and fruition of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that through the generations after us that you would destroy the works of the devil, that you would use their feet to put on the necks of the enemies, or that you would send them into distant lands and gather the harvest and the souls that are crying out for your name. Lord, we say prepare us that we may send them, Lord God, and let your name be made great through the generations that come after us.